Good morning. <clears throat> Let's turn our Bibles to First Timothy chapter number 3. Anybody happens to have no notes with them? You need the notes? We got the great pastor, Art Cole. He helps me a lot with this. There's, uh, there's a couple, maybe we have enough. And if you have your notes from last time, uh, keep bringing it with us, okay? As you notice, our lesson one is dragging on to one month. <laughs> I'm going to try to finish the second point. It's just got a lot of good stuff. There's 13 lessons on this curriculum. But it does say in the front, you can take as long as you need to. And then it does say that they compiled this over many years. So that's why there's a lot of information. So, First Timothy chapter number 3 and verse number 15. Swore in the Roman number 2. The composition of the church, what it is it composes of the church. Composition of the church. First Timothy chapter number three. We'll start there. There's a lot of verses, so uh, some of them are in your notes. If it happens to be not in your notes, just write it down in reference. And uh, if you're willing to go turn to those pages, you can. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we thank you again for a wonderful morning. Thank you for as we celebrate uh, in this local church what we call Roundup Sunday. Uh, many are even downstairs preparing. Uh, some were here yesterday preparing. And Lord, we have prayed that you would bring in your, your children uh, that have, might be uh, gone from us for a while. And Lord, I pray that uh, they would be encouraged to come today. Help our main speaker later. But I feel, dear Lord, as he brings forth your word, may it be uh, with power. Lord, I pray that the Holy Ghost will meet with us. And even this Sunday school hour, Lord, I pray that you'd help me as I teach. I am unworthy, Lord, as a human being. But thank you that you put us as men into the ministry, counted us faithful. And Lord, you're the one that directed us to call us to do the things that you would ask us to do as a pastor. Lord, I pray that you'd help me to do just that and as I teach. And all the teachers today, thank you for leading them to volunteer and be teachers and be followers of you in that, in that ministry, and help each and every one of them in assistance as well. Lord, I pray for those that are listening online, maybe not able physically to be here. I pray that you'd uh, bless them. And for those that uh, uh, chose not to be here today for some reason or another, and it's not important that I know or we know, but Lord, I pray that if it's not right, I pray that they will get right with you and be here in their place. Lord, bless us, we ask, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. The importance of the church is defined for us in Ephesians chapter number 5, when Christ said, I died for it. Uh, that should be enough for us to realize how important church is. If the Lord Jesus Christ was willing to give his life for it. Okay, Ephesians chapter number 5 was very clear about that. And so, we look at the, what makes up the church, this big word, composition. Uh, the local church is not a building or a local uh, or a location. It is a living habitation of God's people. It is a living organism, all right? I say 
was saying before that when you look at the scripture and we'll see the word church uh, defined for us here in the Greek word and all that, uh, it's proving to be true that when the Bible speaks of the church, it speaks of us, human beings gathering, more so than it speaks of other things, okay? Uh, it is referred to sometimes as a building, very, very rare, as a physical building. And we'll talk about that on the latter part of this second point we're in. But in our world we live in, like I said before, as a missionary, the world does not understand or know what a missionary does. And so the world has to look at me because I'm making their money. I'm using their money that they produce, okay? And I am accountable as a United States citizen to them, all right? So they have to put a criteria of who I am. And what I was to them was a self-employed man. And so I had to properly file my taxes. I didn't get a W-2. I got a 1099. And so I had to follow the code for my filing, all right? But God didn't look at me as self-employed. God looked at me as a missionary. Understand? So the church also has an identity that the word look as a the world will look at us. And in the business world, in the legal terms of the word, we are an incorporation, non-profit incorporation, 501c3. That's the IRS code that they use for our organization. Okay? So don't get me lost when I say it's not about the building. Don't get me lost. It's not about the way we do things properly, decently, in order. Okay? Just because God looks at me as a missionary... It doesn't mean I have no responsibility now in the sense of that I have to file my taxes as a self-employed man. You understand what I'm trying to say? But what is more important is what? The spiritual aspect of the church. And that must dictate to us everything else. As a missionary, that was what I needed to be because that's what God's view on me. That's his perception of me. I am a missionary. So that has to be done properly and then I would now look at the self-employed part as a government, and I would do my best, as he says, honor the king in his word. But when there is a problem between God and any man or any organization, God gets first place. He must get the preeminence. We read these verses as we're studying the lessons. And so you must understand that. Okay? That's part of the, the principle of we are... In the world, but we're not of the world. We live here. So we have to function. All right? We use chair like everybody else. Just because we're Christian doesn't mean we don't need to sit on chairs. We levitate, I guess. No, we're still bound by human laws. And the Bible defines us because he, in Romans 13, really was the one to establish government. Okay? So learn all of that. And then we're going to look at it right now here. The organized part of this local church is called FBBC.incorporated. All right? That's the organized, if we would be said, organized religions, that would be our name. Okay? Because like I said before last week, would you want to go to a place that's disorganized? Would you want to go to a hotel that the clerk doesn't know what's going on? And if, that, if the room was clean or not clean? Or the maid actually went to work that day? Would you want to do that? So before we put a lot of our 
unorganized religion, we be careful what we're thinking and what we're saying, and we know actually what we're talking about. Okay? Not that I'm saying that you don't, but understand that there's some phrases that are used, and sometimes we make definition by our own ideas of the word. Okay, let's learn some of those, okay? I'm glad that Faith Bible Baptist Church is an organized religion. Now, with all what I just said, I could say that, right? You understand what I'm saying about that? Now, I understand there's some negativity about organized religion because men have stepped out of God's principle and God's teaching and God's truth and now has put upon themselves authority that God did not place on them. And now they're teaching things that are against the scripture. That's when I'm against organized religion. Why? Because the secondary application of that place has become the primary, which it should not be the case. You understand what I'm talking about? I like it organized because the Bible says in Corinthians we should do things decently and in order. God is a God of order. All right? We see that in creation in itself. So let's go to 1 Timothy chapter number 3 and verse number 15. That was way in review and now we're going to dive into this. Okay? Verse number 15. But if I tarry long that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God. You kind of see here a house, an edifice, a place of gathering, a house. I'm going to talk about the church is not just a consumer-based mentality. We don't come here to consume goods, although there is part of that. But it's a house referring to that it's a family. We all are responsible. We are all stewards of the place. All right, and we come here with that mentality as members. We come here and say, it's not all the responsibility of the pastor and the staff to care for the place. As much as it's all our responsibility to care for the place. You understand that? And so here, it's the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Letter A, composed of called out people. C-A-L-L-E-D dash O-U-T. I think that will be in your blank. Composed of called out people. The world most commonly translated, the word most commonly translated church in our New Testament is in the Greek word ecclesia, which means a called out assembly. The word is used 115 times in the New Testament. And a hundred and twelve of those times, it refers to a local assembly of believers. There is an interesting trail of linguistic etymology to our English word church. It is actually a derivative of the Greek word kriokos, if I'm pronouncing that right, which means belonging to the Lord. I, I touched base on this last week. I'm talking about we are called out to be separated from the world. And then separated unto God. We belong to God. Okay? And you'll see that here as we continue. From Kriokos comes the Scottish word Kirk. All right? If I'm pronouncing that right. And from that word, we get the English word church. Okay? Thus, church refers to a group of people who belong to the Lord. All right? That's why, as independent Baptists and we are here, that's part of our uh, belief in this local church. 
We believe that you become a church member if you are what? Born again and you get baptized. Then you become a church member. Correct? Why? Because you cannot belong to God if your father in John 8.44 is still the devil. Okay? You are of your father the devil. Unless you ask Jesus Christ to save you, the Holy Spirit does the work of regeneration and makes you alive again, makes you a new creature in Christ. And when that happens, you become sons and daughters. You've been adopted. I believe it's in Romans 8. We are adopted into the family of God, and we can call to God, Abba Father, in our terminology, I would like to call it, we can say Daddy. We can say to God, Daddy. Okay? Because of that. When we understand the truth, we view church differently. Church is not just organized religion. I think I made that clear earlier. It is not just a place where we meet so we can have something to do. We are called out group of people who belong to the Lord based on a relationship. That's emphasizing We are brothers and sisters. We are not co-social club members. We are not FBBC members as if we were go to Sam's Club and get our card and in our our status, we are Sam's Club members. We have the right to come here and shop because now we have the membership. In the Philippines, they were big on that. I'm sure they got it from us. In every store you go, they're going to give you a stinking card. And so my wallet is huge. Because I have all those little cards, right? They haven't gotten digital or electronic yet. Uh, now, in here, I don't know if we even use that. I don't think we have bonus cards anymore. I still use our old number, and they don't ever follow up. So it's the same number I remember. 716-941-3695. It's the landline. Never forget that number. Back then, you had to remember numbers. But uh, I could go to any tops and say that. It'll pop out, Randall Barron, Randall Barron. If you call that number today, nobody will pick up because that number is dead. (laughs) It is gone. But anyways, it is more than that. It is more than that. It's more than a certificate that you're a member here. Now you join into a family. We're a brother and sister, so whether you like it or not. Did you choose your brother and sisters? I I didn't. It It just came that way, right? I'm sure if you ask them, they say, I didn't ask for somebody like him. But he came that way. And so you got that relationship, irritation, annoyance. And, uh, but also you can have genuine love. You can put up with our messes and say it's okay. As long as we can deal with it properly and godly. We don't leave problems unattended. If God says and the Holy Spirit directs us to fix them. We need to fix them. We should have no ought with each other as brethren. We just had the Lord's Supper last week, I believe. And that is one of those things to think about how we are related to each other. Have we offended anybody? Have we caused uh, somebody to be upset? Or we are we upset at somebody because they've done something? We should fix those. We should not let them linger in a family. Because those fractions will turn into major divisions and pretty soon you don't have each other in your life. You walk away from each other. Okay, so let's fix those. If we have any, even the slightest. Somebody said this, a preacher says, keep your account with God short. 
Julio. Keep your account with God short because we're all sinners. David was the best confessors. If you look at his, his writings, he confessed almost everything. He was broken about everything. He did a lot of mess. More than even King Saul did, recorded for us in the scripture. But you find him talking to us about his concern, about his relationship with his God. And I think that translates a little bit with his relationship with others around him. So let us, our account, be very short. Okay? And there's some misunderstanding that takes a while to fix. But we have the goal and the desire to get it fixed. And sometimes we have to wait on the other party to let it be fixed. Sometimes we're waiting. All right? Let us not be the one being waited upon to get things right. But sometimes we can't make people do what we feel like they should do. I know that. Even with little Mariah. So even a little cute Mariah that can't even say a word yet can offend me and make me upset at night when she doesn't want to go to sleep and cry and I'm offended, I can get bitter at her. Get rid of that kid. Put that kid somewhere else. I need to go to sleep. So if a little kid can offend you, how much more us that have self-will and we struggle with our own problems? Do you not think that when you then move around with others and would you not think that would affect your relationship? If you're honest, you absolutely would say yes. That's why people get mad at us. That's why we get mad at them. But let's get it under the blood, get it under the Lord and his control because we are a family. Look at this. <clears throat> Not just as a place we meet so we can have something to do. We are called out group of people who belong to the Lord. The church belongs to him. We, we talked about ownership and that it belongs to him. We're stewards. All right. We're managers. Our lives belong to him and we gather together to worship him according to the directions he set. Because he's the owner. And even us, 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20, is very clear. We are bought with a price. Therefore, we should glorify God in our bodies and our spirits, which are God's. It's not ours. All right? Galatians 5 talks about we cannot do the things that we would because we don't belong to ourselves. First Peter, uh, Jesus, just as Jesus personally called out to his disciples in the first century, so we, the local church, are called out people first. Uh, we are called out through salvation. And I said again, uh, you cannot be a member of this local body of believers unless you are a believer. You must get saved. First Peter one twenty three. If you want to turn there, it's there. You can just look at your notes. First Peter uh, one twenty three. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Liveth and abideth forever. First century Corinth was a city hardened by idolatry and paganism. It was a bad place, all right? It was a fluent place, but it was a very bad place. Actually, the depth of depravity in the city is inconceivable to us. They had houses of prostitution and hideous lewd rituals that were part of their idol worship. Human life was expandable as men could receive the death penalty for so much as losing a race. And it's so true. I live in a country that I feel like is not founded on Christian principles. And when they look at life, they look at it very different. They look at it with less value. It is expendable. Oh, he died. That's it. He died. 
Whereas we put value to a human life. We honor people. We put a guard on the tomb of the unknown soldiers. Even somebody we don't even know. We don't even have an idea if they're alive or not alive. We put a significant importance to put somebody with precision of movement. It's just amazing. Have you ever seen it? It's unbelievable. And they put that importance because we are built and founded upon principles of Scripture. The more you are close to the Lord, the more you'll celebrate life than celebrate death. We have preachings all the time in the Philippines because they make emphasis on death. They celebrate death. That's why I don't celebrate Halloween. I don't celebrate it for one reason, is that it celebrates death. I don't celebrate death. I was once dead, but I got saved. I'm passed from death unto life. I celebrate life. You'll see me celebrate resurrection rather than I'll celebrate Halloween. Because I don't celebrate death. I celebrate life. One day I might die. But there's a hope in 1 Thessalonians 4. I might be called up. I'll never see death. But either way, if I die first or I remain alive and the rapture comes, guess what? My celebration for eternity. Everlasting life. What a truth that we live. So why do we celebrate death? That's why I stay from things gothic. I don't, I, I don't, I don't, I don't celebrate that. Because it's death. It represents death. I, I, I go to what represents life. Okay? All right. And yet, look at this. And yet, as Paul preached the gospel in Corinth, hallelujah for the gospel. You can take it to the most depraved people in the world. And if it's preached, God says that his word will not return void. It will accomplish its purpose. And in Romans chapter number 10, it is from the power of the preaching of the word of God that if people hear the word of God, faith comes. They'll say, I've never heard it like that before. Is that true? And then some actually put their faith that God put in every man a measure of. And they say, I want to trust that. And their life transforms in a depraved, wicked world. Somebody said this, the darker it is, the brighter the light. Even if it's the smallest light, it's still the brightest. So Christian, that's why God says don't hide your light in a dark world. Don't scurry. Don't get scared. You don't have to be belligerent. You don't have to be obnoxious on purpose. You don't have to be mean. But man, let that light shine. We say the world is dark today. Then the better smile. The world is so weird out today. The better it is for you to do something kind to somebody. The better it is for you to tip bigger. I'm not suggesting that. But it's up to you. If you have the money, if you felt led the spirit not because i said that but if you feel like you want to do a, a genuine act of kindness to somebody this is the time this is the time because that would be emphasized so much bigger it's going to be so much more evident and so much more effective in our day when everybody is cutting everybody off when everybody has no patience for anyone everybody going to the lines man we got all these self-checkouts now and people are still upset at each other we got rid of all the cashiers that you don't like. Now it's you checking yourself out. How else in the world can you get mad? 
Right? Here in the midst of this pagan, ungodly culture, God established a local church. And that's the best place for a local church. Not a social club, not a parachurch organization. I don't have a problem with parachurch organization. And they're really there to support the ministry of the church. In our day and age, sometimes parachurches become more than they should be. All right? As a missionary, again, I had a parachurch organization. We had what we call a clearing house. Right? That we had to work through because our church was not able to handle my money from a bunch of churches sending it to us, making account of it, and then sending it to me in one shot. So I had to go to the world for the world. That happened to be the one we used, but Justin uses them. And so that's the one we use. We had affiliation with them. We had a, we had a, we had a working together with them. I believe we support their director right now, and we support the ministry. But they're not more important than the church. And in fact, they emphasize all the time, it's not our job to do anything else but to handle your finances. If we see anything discrepancy in there, we'll call the pastor or the missionary. Okay? So, parachurches, there's many of them. CEF, we affiliate with them. But this church is more important than CEF. Because CEF here is to be allied to us. Not to be an enemy or a competition. Because we are God-instituted. CEF is a man-made idea. Are you there now with me? Mission boards are man-made ideas. Not the local church. You understand that? You getting me? Okay, Walmart's a man-made idea, but the local church was not a man-made idea. It was God in his very beginning. We talked about this. He established it. It is from his mind and heart that he put this together. Now, there's other things around us that help us. And so I love those parachurch organizations that help us. Rock of Ages is one of them. Okay? So there's many of them that do a good thing. But they know, and I can say this, if they were here sitting, they would agree with me, that they're not the most important. The church is more important. And they're only operating under the authority of the local church as a parachurch organization. So you know what that means. If you never heard that before, that's what, when you hear parachurch, that's what that is. Okay? Uh, <clears throat> let's continue here. Uh, not a, uh, a parish organization, not a support group, but a local church, a called out group of people directly connected to Christ through salvation and able to receive Christ's power to live the victorious Christian life. When Paul later wrote to the, le- the church at Corinth, he immediately identified this church as a group of called out people, sanctified, when you already talked about that, uh, or set apart and called to be saints. Look at 1 Corinthians, if you want to turn there. 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter number 1, and verse number 1. Paul wrote, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God. You see that? It's very clear what he said about himself. This is not something that he was coerced to do by a group of men. This was God saying, this is what you need. And we believe that as preachers. And so he's saying, he's saying that through the will of God. And Sothenus, our brother, under the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified, verse number 2, 1 Corinthians chapter number 1, Verse number two, under the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, 
called to be saints with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours. Members of the church of Corinth were not without difficulty of sin. If you just read 1 Corinthians and Corinthians, you'll understand the botchery that's happening in the church. I'm glad I don't belong to the church of Corinth. Have you ever thought about that when you read some of these churches? I do. I'm glad I'm not living in that time with those problems. But let's bring it back down to us. That means if people like them had problems, would you think as people like us, we would probably have problems too. All right? Okay. Members of the church who are not without difficulty of sin, if you have any doubt, like I said, read again First and Second Corinthians. Many of them still struggle to gain victory over habits and vestiges of their lives before salvation. And yet they were a church. Uh, and yet they were a church owned by Christ, learning how to grow in him and following his leadership. The local church is composed of people who have been called out through salvation. But to, the, to, but to be members of the church, the, these same people identified themselves with the church through water baptism. Because the principle behind baptism, do you know why we get baptized? What's the whole idea why we do it? It's one word. It's identification. We still carry that thought today with IDs. All of us have IDs. If you're going to travel, you need a passport. That's an identification. You are worthy to travel. All right? If you want to drive, you want to have an ID. We call that a driver's license. All right? And so that identifies you when you're traveling worldwide and you're going through JFK that has multiple nations coming through it, you'll tell us quickly by the passwords we hold in our hands. Because they'll say there, passport of the United States, you'll have a bunch of weird letterings, and I don't know where they're from, but it's not from the United States. That identifies me. Those people are not American citizens for some reason or another because their passport is not my passport. Right? So identification, baptism is a form of identification. When Jesus got baptized, he identified by God verbally, that's my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus didn't need to get saved, but he was identifying to the whole world, I am the Lamb of God that will take away the sins of the world. That was his identification. That's his baptism. We get baptized into what? Into Christ. So when we get saved, we go up here, and we get baptized, buried in the likeness of his death, raised to walk in newness of life, and all God's people says, as a witness, amen. We identify to say, I believe Jesus Christ to be the, the Savior, as 1 Corinthians 15 says, that is the gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection. And so I made that profession in my heart. I've asked Jesus to save me. Pastor very, very wisely asked, have you been born again? Have you asked Jesus Christ to save you at this point? And most people will have to wait. And they'll say yes. Quietly some yes. Some loud. But nonetheless, they make that profession outwardly amongst us. And then we baptize them. And we identify them as what? A believer of Jesus Christ. They walk out of there. There's newness of life. Right? They're born again, child of God. They're walking amongst us. Now, the corporate side of our church, we use that and tie in. Now you're a member here. Okay, technically. All right? But uh, sometimes there's some things to talk about. 
before that. If you have any question about that, pastor is here, about church membership, okay? Or you can ask me if you want, all right? Uh, continuing here, uh, the local church is, uh, where am I? Composed of people who have been called out through salvation, uh, and, and it's, it's identified themselves with the church of water baptism. In scripture, we see the water baptism identifies us with Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. Romans 6, chapter number 6, Romans. So that's before Corinthians, just a book after. Turn back to Romans 6 and verse number 3. Romans chapter number 6 and verse number 3, it says, Know ye not that so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ? We're baptized into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. And like Christ was raised from from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. And that's where we get Pastor Cole saying that. Up there when we get baptized. We got baptism last week. Did we have baptism last week? Or a couple weeks ago, but just recently. And so that's what we do that. Baptism is a reflection on the outside of what has happened on the inside. It does not and cannot wash away our sins. But it does identify us with Christ's payment for our sins. It's just an outward testimony or an inward transaction that already happened. It's a receipt. It's a receipt. It's not a payment. You go to the store today. Well, I guess you can't, you can't do that. In the Philippines, if you buy it, you have a receipt. It's done. You can't take it back. That's why you take forever shopping for clothes because we have to put that, we have to put it on. It has to fit us. We have to look at it. If it's got crack, it's been stocked for there for forever because they don't, they don't, they don't get rid of their stuff. It's, it's been there for five years. It's still there. Nobody buys it. They just clean it up, polish it up, and stick it in there. The rubber on them gets bad. Some people buy brand new shoes and they walk outside and, and the humidity in the Philippines, the way it does, it just crumbles. I had a shoe I left there a year. One year I left it there. I couldn't bring it with me when I came in July of last year. And so I'm good. I don't have to pack any shoes. I got there. I'm glad I packed one shoes. But I got there. I put it on Sunday morning, walking around, playing with my foot under the table. I'm drinking coffee. Justin was there talking my ears off and eating coffee. And he goes, Chris, did you not notice anything was happening on your foot? I said, what's going on? I said, you have no more soul. Like, well, I'm soulless. <laughs> no, it crumbled. The outer sole, the rubber is all crumbled. It's on the ground. And he says, well, you might have to change shoes. Yeah, man, I have to change all my get up because it doesn't match. Anyways, <laughs> just kidding. I gave him a hard time. Uh, we had fun. But anyways, uh, look at this. Uh, whatever this is with the local church. Uh, Acts chapter number 2 and verse number 41. So we're, at, we're there in Romans. Back up again. Acts chapter number 2 and verse number 41. You find uh, when Jesus is already gone, he's given the disciples now uh, what's left, the 120 in the upper room. And you find this account on Acts chapter number 2, the Pentecost. And then on 241, it says, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about three thousand souls and these are the verses and the principles as we read them why we make a, a, a statement here at, at, at our church that we would like you to be a member if you have been born again according to the scriptures and that you've been baptized okay so that is what that is 
Let me quickly finish here. Through the centuries, the importance of ordinance of believer's baptism has been misunderstood and twisted. Some baptize infants. Some claim baptism washes away sin. Some baptize by sprinkling or pouring. The Roman Catholic Church instituted sprinkling on of infants in the 3rd century. The Council of Carthage declare we ought not to hinder any person from baptism and the grace of God, especially infants, those newly born. So they declared that during the 3rd century. But if we look to Scripture, this is again when we have a problem with organized religion, and Catholic is very organized. And so they have put a statement against Scripture. Nowhere in the Bible you will find a baby anywhere being baptized. Not one account, not even an illusion of it, none. There is dedication that's different than baptism. Again, if you get any question about this, ask Pastor Cole or me. Come to us, all right? And if some of us have already heard this if you've been here a while. But if we look to Scripture, we see that baptism was almost always by immersion after salvation and only administered to those who personally put their faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. And there's many testimonies of that in Scripture. Philip, all right? The Ethiopian eunuch, all right? All of that, they even stopped after he got saved. They stopped somewhere. Oh, there's a deep water here. What will hinder me to get baptized? I said, well, nothing. Let's go. And they got baptized. All right? But if we look to Scripture, we see that baptism was always by immersion. Even the Pentecostal reformers who left, uh, I'm sorry, even the Protestant reformers who left the Catholic Church couldn't seem to shake the unbiblical practice of baptism infants. And that's why there's some Protestant denomination that practice that. In fact, many of the reformers mercilessly persecuted Baptists, and there is history of that, where we are persecuted for baptizing only believers, all right? Uh, there's documentation of these things that happen in history, all right? Who had long stood for biblical baptism after salvation. Swingley himself, one of the key leaders of the Reformation, had many Baptists, including pastor, evangelist, Felix Menz, drowned for their belief in baptism by immersion after salvation, Biblical believers, uh, bi biblical believers' baptism is just one of the many examples of the difference in the church that takes the Bible as its final authority in faith and practice in a church that follows the traditions of men. That's again, that's why I made that statement earlier. We make emphasis on what the Bible says more than what we think is right as human beings because God owns the church. We have no right to do anything else than what God says. Scripture is quite clear that the New Testament church is comprised of people who have been called out through salvation and who have identified themselves with the church through believers' baptism. Additionally, Scripture teaches that, Christian, uh, that Christ's churches consist in local assemblies, and we'll deal with that later because our time is so expired. We are going to continue next week and focus on letter B, consist in local assemblies. Okay? Lord, we thank you again for the time, and thank you for the people that you have brought to your house. I pray that you'd bless us now as we continue the next service. In Jesus' name, amen.